I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. You like to move Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to I Like To Movie Movie. My name is Dan Scully, and just like John McClane in A Good Day to Die Hard, I am on vacation. Um, so I didn't really get to prepare a classic episode for you, but I did not want to leave our millions and millions of listeners disappointed, and I wanted to record something for you. So I thought that uh, maybe over the next few minutes, I could go over some of the movies that I watched while on vacation because I'm a fucking degenerate that can't take like a day off from watching movies. It's an... <clears throat> I love movies, don't get me wrong, but if I could trade out movies for productivity, I would be the most productive person in the world. But alas, I'd probably be a complete nightmare person, and as it is, I'm only a half nightmare person, and that is livable. So yeah, I have been up in the Poconos with Jenna and her family all weekend. It was a lot of fun. We did manage to go to the Mahoning Drive-In twice, uh, which is always a nice thing to do. I was a little disappointed that their Camp Blood event did not coordinate with the week that we have at the timeshare in the Poconos. Um, but still got to go check out some movies and have a good time and talk to some people. So it was, uh, you know, a good time. The highlight of the trip, I'll tell you what, and I will tie this to movies, I promise you. I went to the West End Fair you know, where it's fried foods, uh, farm animals, a dude getting shot out of a cannon. They have Trump flags where Trump's face is on Rambo's body, which is just, man, it says a lot <laughs> to, to see that kind of shit. But uh, it is a good reminder that uh, that those people uh, do exist. It's not just our, our urban centers making all the decisions. But um, at the West End Fair, I went to... For the first time in all 37 of my years, I went to a demolition derby. And, uh, holy shit. Holy shit. You think it's as simple as a bunch of cars crashing into one another. And in a lot of ways, you're right. Actually, in pretty much every way, you're right. But the way that... So each car is a number. Some of them have names. I actually think it's all picked at random. Everybody driving the cars wear protective gear such as hoodies, flannels, and cut-off jean shorts. And uh, they just drive around and crash into each other. And if you get stuck in the mud and can't get out, or your car shuts down entirely, or you get knocked out of the ring, which only sort of half happened, then you're out. But the driver just stays in the car while everyone else finishes up. And so there was a handful of heats, and then at the very end was the top three cars from each heat. Um, well, top three drivers, because some of them returned in the cars that they won their previous heat with, but with like considerably more tape and a little spit and bubblegum on them. Whereas some of them came in new cars, because perhaps it was a more recent heat, and they couldn't uh, repair all of the damage. But either way, as Dominic Toretto taught us, it is not the car that wins the race, it is the person behind the wheel of said car. And, uh, <clears throat> the final part of this match was, like, high drama. 
it was four cars for like 45 minutes that just could not knock each other out. There's shit and smoke. It's like there's so many dead cars on the field that they're colliding with, and those disqualified drivers are yelling at the people for hitting their car. It's high drama, but it got down to two people. It was uh, a guy and a girl, and the girl's car was in worse shape at this point, but this car had so much fight in it. It was unbelievable. And then she got stuck and it got to the point where her main competitor, the, the dude, he had a perfect shot to crash right into her and end it all. But he pulled out, lined up his car and then revved his engine to like call her out. And so the crowd goes fucking bananas at this point because it's high drama. And then you know, she starts trying to work her car out of the mud where she's stuck, and it's like super high drama there, and then finally when she realizes she's stuck, she looks out the window and gives the guy like, bring it on, do your worst, and then he did, he fucked up her car, but it was, all I could think watching it is that there's like a Rocky movie or an 8 Mile movie involving the culture of regional demolition derbies. Maybe I'll write it, maybe I won't, and we'll call it, uh, I don't know, can't call it Crash. There's already two movies uh, called Crash. Um, we could call it Demo, Demolish, Delicious Demolition. No, now I don't know. Whatever. It was the greatest thing in the world. But anyway, I did manage to watch some movies over vacation. I'm pulling out my notebook here. And uh, what did I watch over vacation? Well, I'll tell you what. Since, uh, oh no, you know what, I, sh- I shouldn't break embargo on that. Alright, so here we go. So, uh, you've probably seen my review, if you listen to this, of Reminiscence. I think that Reminiscence is a movie that everyone should check out. I cannot imagine that everyone's gonna like it, but it is a very original movie. It looks gorgeous. Sometimes the CGI is a little oppressive, but it, it looks painterly enough that it kind of suits the neo-noir world. Um... And, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's like a cool noir movie with an original plot. It doesn't quite come together, but it's very on brand, and I thought very compelling and exciting based around a really cool tech where people can look back on their memories. I respect the movie for not using that as a commentary on nostalgia culture. Uh, it's not like people strapped in and watched Stranger Things or anything like that, um, because, you know, I, I enjoy nostalgia culture. But, you know, what is there to say about it except that it is what it is? And uh, so this doesn't take that route and instead sort of tells a story of missed opportunity, uh, fleeting moments of joy that weren't embra- embraced, and, uh, you know, just like the uh, the intoxicating nature of memories, both good and bad. But uh, it's also just like Rebecca Ferguson, who rocks, is doing like the femme fatale here. Uh, Hugh Jackman, who rocks, is doing the you know, uh, passionate, but minimal words, gumshoe kind of thing here. And then, and actually this is kind of a a development, Tandy Newton, who I believe has changed the spelling of her name and according to Wikipedia is now pronounced Tandyway Newton. So Tandyway Newton's in it. And, uh, and I, I may have gotten that wrong. Um, I think that that's right. Uh, I made sure to spell it that way in my review. But man, she's awesome in it too, as Hugh Jackman's you know business partner slash friend, who is kind of seeing everything from a third party and and trying to stop his descent into what typically happens to the noir detective guys. Um, 
I watched the next Bond movie in my project of trying to rewatch all the Bond movies, and it was For Your Eyes Only, a Roger Moore Bond that um, <clears throat> I gotta say was was really good. Um, the weirdest thing about going back and re- you know watching all of the Bond movies is finding out that a lot of these early ones are kind of shitty. Um, growing up, I was always a Sean Connery purist, and it wasn't even because I actually thought he was the best Bond. It was just like, I was probably just parroting my dad, and uh, as I know about him, he does not have convictions when it comes to movies, and as someone who acts like they do, I figured I should have some consistency, and I did not love all of the Connery movies. They are dated. They're kind of goofy. I'm stunned by the use of, like, Keystone Cops fast motion in the early Bond movies. Very weird. Um, I think probably my favorite one that I've watched in the rewatch was um, the George Lazenby one. Was that uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service? I know that one. That one like hit the tone just right for me. But a lot of them have been good. And as someone who, you know, mostly forgotten all of the Roger Moore bonds, getting through the Roger Moores, I've really grown to have a. Who? Excuse me. It's very early in the morning, and I have indigestion. Um, Roger Moore, it's it's shocking how much of like the archetype of what Bond is and who Bond is and what his personality ticks are come from Roger Moore's performance. And as such, I've really grown to appreciate it. He's a very funny Bond. Um, he's a, you know, he's, they tell me he's a sexy Bond. I don't know if he's the sexiest Bond, but uh, I get it. I get it. And uh, I know he has a very good interplay with all of the Bond ladies that's very funny, you know, in the dated way that Bond's sexual exploits can be funny. Um, but I do also like, too, like, it occurs to me that I like Bond when he's a little bit more into the high gadgetry. And uh, Roger Moore is pretty high gadgetry. There's one that I believe, oh man, they're all running together in my head. In For Your Eyes Only, when he's in Q's lab, one of the devices that they show that I was hoping was a Chekhov sort of thing that never came up again in the movie... Um, was like a cast that you wear on your arm so it looks like your arm is broken but if you trigger it it like smacks out to the side so it would kind of be the perfect tool for giving someone a ball tap um which i saw like 10 minutes of sister act while i was in the poconos and she does like the thing where she's praying and then she double ball taps the mobsters it'd be good for something like that that sort of subterfuge but it never came up again in fear eyes only um in anticipation of the upcoming VHS 94, I ended up watching both VHS 2 and VHS Viral. And I think VHS 2 is as good as VHS 1. Um, I used to not be the biggest fan of Wingard's first segment that was just a riff on the eye. But it actually like kind of scared me this time around. So uh, points up for that one. And um, of course, the... Uh, Oh, no, I don't remember what it's called. I've only written down the main title. The one from Timo Tahanto and Gareth Evans. Oh, no, or is it Edwards? I think it's Evans. We're going to Wikipedia that John right now. Um, but that's in the cult. Holy hell, that shit is horrifying and has, like, kind of a funny ending. So I'm very into that. A uh, huge fan of the Jason Eisner alien abduction one. It's kind of cruel. Uh, poor doggy, but uh, it's handled so well that you just got to love it. Um, it is called, oh, and a ride in the park, the Ed Sanchez one, the zombie with a heart. 
That was pretty horrifying, too. Safe Haven was it. And I was right. Gareth Hugh Evans did Safe Haven. Uh, yeah, I really liked, too. Um, once again, the wraparound story is just kind of like a, a case, but I do enjoy it's a pretty case to put this movie in. VHS Viral, um, I've always gone to bat for that movie because I think it's pretty clever, but I will admit that there is a distinct drop-off in quality. Um, it just seems chintzier overall. Um, and the found footage aspect is there, but um, it starts to blur a little bit. Not so much in the second and third entry, those uh, kind of stick. But uh, the first one, which I actually really liked, the great Dante, the magician who gets the control of real magic. Um, I like that one a lot. I think it's very clever. It does get kind of hokey at the end when they're doing magic fights, but like it has to go there. You got you got to go there. It's great. Um, but it does lose the found footage aspect a bit. And um, whereas there is an explanation as to why certain things are being filmed, um, I just think it could have been integrated a little bit better, and it, it almost feels uh, contrived the way that they have it being filmed. Um, that said, they do do a lot of the work to get there, and I, I respect the feat of writing that it's that it shows off. But um, I did like VHS Viral, and I was surprised to find that after the credits on the on the Blu-ray is a short film called Gorgeous Vortex that uh, was initially included in the film but was cut at the last minute, um, which the movie is the shortest of the three, so it does feel like something's cut. I can see why they cut it. It does not have found footage as part of it at all, and found footage is inherent to the VHS conceit. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. It's completely silent, kind of surreal, uh, involving... Uh, I think they're like hit women. I'd have to watch it again. It was like one thirty in the morning, but um, it was a nice surprise and it was very cool to see. Uh, I can see why it was not included in the movie, but I am very pleased that it was included in the Blu-ray. Um, Parallel Demons, the Nacho Vigalando segment is one of my favorites in the entire franchise. I love the idea of a parallel world. I've thought about this a lot. I, know exactly what I would ask my parallel self uh, to better understand about myself. But uh, this movie indicates that the parallel universe is not the same, and the weird way that it has chosen to show its adjacency to our world, as well as to where it branched off, is really, really clever and really, really disgusting. So kudos to Nacho Vigalando for having the most imaginative imagination that ever imagined here in Imagination Land. So let's talk about my first experience, not my first experience, but my first experience this week at Mahoning, since we went twice. On Saturday, they had a Nicolas Cage double feature, Cage Match. And they were showing Face Off and Con Air. Um, I did not stay for Con Air uh, due to logistical issues we needed to get out of there at a certain hour. And since the sun doesn't set till 8.30 and Face Off is over two hours long, you know, it was already pushing midnight by the time that ended. So no Con Air for me, although I would have loved to see Con Air in 35 mil. But I did get to see Face Off in 35 mil, which was really a lot of fun. Um... We did an episode on Face Off. There's, there's not much more I can say about it that hasn't already been said. But I will say that at one point during the movie, Mahoning is located near an airport. And at one point, right before the movie started, 
a helicopter did an extremely low flyby. Um, I don't think in relation to the movie, but it sure felt like it, and it was uh, it was pretty intense. And you know, as we know, there's a helicopter fight in the opening reel of Face Off. I did a little reading. I finished that book, The Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and The Birth of the FBI. Um, I've been reading this because it is Scorsese's next film, and it is more of the Brendan Fraser uh, renaissance that we're currently going through. That uh, oh man, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it suck if he came back and got cancelled? He seems like such a heart of gold, so I don't buy it, but you know, anything can happen. That would be heartbreaking, though. Ooh, that would be a tough one. Tough one to weather out. Oh, man, I love Encino, man. But uh, this book was fucking incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, I'm loving everything that David Grant has done so far. I read The Lost City of Zed. Yes, I'm calling it Zed, because that's, I guess, how they would have said it back then and how it was said in the movie that was adapted from it. Um, yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon is great. Really shocking, upsetting, and horrifying story but one filled with so many little micro-stories of adventure, intrigue, uh, and, and horrifying racism uh, that, uh, you know, led to some concurrent things growing out of this chunk of history that we never would have thought to tie to it because the history we teach is uh, incomplete. But I think this book does a good job of filling in some holes in the American history narrative, ones that are shameful and upsetting, but deserve to be told. And it's just a, it's just a real good read. Like it's, I love a good read. Like, like, you know what it kind of reminded me of? If you ever read this, uh, Abe Lincoln book called Manhunt that does, takes a narrative approach to the chasing, well, to the, the death of Lincoln and then the eventual capture of John Wilkes Booth, and I I almost said Lee Harvey Oswald, because all murderers like that have three names. There's Lee Harvey Oswald, Billy Ray Cyrus, uh, there's uh, uh, F. Murray Abraham, all those assassins, and um, J.K. JK Rowling, all these, all these killers. Um, no, it's a, it's just a really good read that's like, reads as narrative fiction but it's all real information and uh it's all factual and so you learn and it's good and it's good for you like kicks um and, and i ran this book by my mom and it was mother approved i ran it by my niece but she wasn't interested in reading it so it's not really kid tested but i am a child i'm a big old baby huey so i guess that it counts so my second trip to the Mahoning was to watch the original Candyman in anticipation of the remake, which just dropped yesterday. And uh, I, I did just watch the entire Candyman trilogy recently. So, you know, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I will say that Candyman looked fantastic at the Mahoning. The sound leaves a little to be desired because that is kind of a, a dreary sound profile to this movie that is a shame because when when the audio is good it has a really booming resonance to resonance to it uh, especially in Tony Todd's voice speaking as the character of Candyman 
And uh, at Mahoning, unfortunately, because you're just using the radios and all we had was a pocket radio, it was less than ideal. Also, for the first time ever, there was just like a really loud plane running its engine at the airport, so it was kind of hard to hear. And then add to that, the car next to us kept setting, excuse me, kept triggering their engine. What's the word? Turning the ignition? Igniting their engine? Do we say that? Start your engines! They uh, started their engine a couple times throughout the movie and let it run, I think because they wanted their air conditioning to be on, so... It was hard to hear, and it made the area smell like shit, so fuck that guy. Fuck him in the butt. Unless that's what he's into, then don't fuck him in the butt. Deny him! Deny him! And it was, uh... But man, it was it was still a good time. We managed to get Jenna's parents out. Her mom was scared of the movie, so she slept, and her dad loved the movie. Um, but it was really good to revisit the Candyman before the new one, for reasons we'll get into in a little bit. I'm not going to spoil the new Candyman. I think that there's some cool stuff there. But I did watch Candyman 2 and 3. Both were not... Both were sub-optimal. But both had, like, a lot of really good pleasures within. Um, (laughs) The second one, uh, what's it called? Uh, Farewell to the Flesh. It, you know, it's just like sort of the same thing happens, like another white lady triggers Candyman by playing the game, and now, you know, she's getting blamed for crimes that she didn't do. Um, and I did have the thought that 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 I would hope that the new Candyman, especially being told from a black lens, would have something to, would, would actually thematically use the idea of of being deemed guilty just by how you look as opposed to you know and uh it does it does reckon with that which is good because the first three have plots about people being blamed for crimes they didn't do and uh you know just because it looks bad and uh they don't really do anything thematically with it so you know that's that's a really cool direction that they took but yeah Candyman: farewell to the flesh just is more of a slasher but uh to tell you the truth it's not bad uh, Bill Condon directed, so it's often pretty. Uh, although it does have that thing that movies from 1995 have, where everybody is like crazy excited to show off their new CGI skills, but um, the technology is just about to like move ahead by leaps and bounds. So it's very, very dated. Um, there is a shatter effect that's used on Candyman that looks just goddamn awful but it's so charming i i kind of love it too you know it's uh there's a lot of gruesome stuff in it uh there's one thing watching the franchise of Candyman that i think uh (laughs) that i wanted to see in the new one that that we didn't it seems like there was a staple where the Candyman's jacket opens up and we see that he's rotting from the inside um the new movie finds elegant ways to depict Candyman, so it, that's not like a felt loss, but that did become sort of a trope for a while, not a trope, but a, a, a bookmark of the series, a benchmark, a visual note of the series is that Candyman will open his swank coat and show off his ribs that are covered in bees. Um, but yeah, two is, is not bad. I mean, like, I don't love star reviews, but on my letterbox, I gave it three stars because it's really worth a watch, even if it's just kind of like a more slashery sequel. And then Candyman Day of the Dead, the third one. This is an artisan film from 1999. Um, If that means something to you stylistically, 
then uh, that's what this movie really does capture. Um, there's a Baywatch titty bleach blonde, uh, who I believe is from Baywatch as our lead. And, and I'll tell you what, respect to her because she's not a good actress. And I felt seen because I'm a terrible actor, but, uh, I would hope that I act with as much passion as she does. She goes hard as hell. She's just, you know, kind of shitty, but, um, yeah, it, it, this movie definitely has a lot of the benchmarks of, you know, a franchise sequel from 1999. But it really is a lot of fun. They they changed the location to New Orleans, and uh, that suits Candyman well. I think that... I, I actually... I forget where his mythology... No, his mythology started to place in Chicago at Cabrini Green. And um, so this kind of repurposes it into New Orleans, but, like, there is sort of a Cajun sensibility... Uh, that could be created out of the Candyman iconography, and they do it pretty well here. Uh, the movie does feel very made-for-TV-y, but I was pleased that in one of the establishing shots of our heroine's apartment, it's apparent that she lives at Patty's Pub, because that is the same setting that they use. So uh, it's actually amazing, too, how Pavlovian that establishing shot is. Like, they showed her apartment, and immediately I was primed to just hear, like, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it. And Dennis yells at D, and they call her a bird, and then Frank comes in, and Max coming in hot. I was, like, ready for all of it. And uh, then instead I just got, you know, more Candyman action. But the second half of that movie is commendably metal. Uh, they do some really fucking gross shit, and, uh, and, you know, that's one thing about Candyman that you gotta give it credit for, is it does like to be a little gruesome, and I appreciate that. Which leads me to the new Candyman. Um, seems to be kind of a divisive movie, but, uh, that's good, you know? Like, if it was, uh, universally loved or universally hated, that's, that's boring. I am in the camp of, it was fucking awesome. Um... It might be the best Candyman movie. It's certainly as good as the original, in my estimation. Uh, it is a... It's a really cool... It is a sequel. It is an update. But uh, I think what's most remarkable about it is that it exists in conversation with the first film. You know, if these movies have a thematic thread of white people taking black culture, absorbing it, and then casting off the creator, you know... Uh, appropriating or, or repurposing black art or stealing of black talent and then discarding of the person behind it. Um, you know, that's certainly in the mythology of Daniel Robitel, the original Candyman. And uh, so it's kind of cool that this movie uh, sort of does the same thing, like reclaims this as a black story since it was originally told, uh, you know, it is written by Clive Barker and was the first, you know, created in film by Bernard Rose, but it, it honors its sources, but it doesn't do the classless white move of casting it off entirely. So instead it, it exists in response to it. And, uh, it's re it's real fucking cool. It's scary as hell. Oh my God. And it is gross, but it is, it's like classy. Um, uh, Nia DaCosta directed, uh, co-wrote with Jordan Peele and, uh, another guy that I'm going to look up. Um, it's, a uh, it is a gruesome slasher, but it's it doesn't revel in the slasher elements. It like this one shot of someone being killed in their apartment 
is shot through the window from like across the block. So you have this beautifully composed shot of an apartment building, you know, with the windows in various states of lit up and out. And in one room, there's just horrifying carnage happening with blood splatter and ragdoll physics. And uh, it's really upsetting stuff, but we don't revel in it. It's handled artfully. Or a scene where a bunch of young women in a bathroom get rocked by the Candyman. But uh, a lot of it is shot in reflection in a pocket mirror that has fallen to the ground because someone's arm has been ripped off. Um, There's body horror elements. There is uh, supernatural elements. And it's kind of, you know, a bit of a slow burn at the outset. Uh, It it goes slowly until it doesn't. But I I really appreciated that it's not a very long movie. In fact, my one beef with this is is, is I think it could have been like 20 minutes longer. Um, I feel like, uh, but but it manages to, to cram a lot into its short runtime thematically visually plot wise and holy hell these performances and i am going to mispronounce some names but i'm going to do it because they do deserve to be said which oh you know that reminds me um Candyman, you say his name in the mirror five times and he appears well you say his name say his name say his name and in a modern racial context that idea changes a little bit Because say their names has become a refrain in the fight for racial justice and the idea that these people who fall victim to racism are not statistics. They're not, uh, you know, they're they're not necessarily their their histories or their people, they're human beings. And so you say their names. And so to sort of work that into the mythology of Candyman, say his name, say his name, is pretty cool. And they do it in a way in the movie that is complicated and is... uh, I mean, you're just going to have to see it. It's something that I couldn't possibly put into words. Uh, You can certainly read my review at scullyvision.com, where I also probably failed to put it into words. It's funny, too. I came out hot with that review and then went back and edited it. So if you read it as soon as I posted it, you should read the second one um, uh, where I was was kind of caught. I was stoned. And um, it it brought me out of my bad day, and I got to uh, rework my Candyman review. But... uh, the lead, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, uh, you may recognize from the Watchmen series, uh, he is the lead, and he is absolutely fantastic. Uh, his co-lead is Tiana Paris, and uh, yeah, really the two of them just put on a hell of a performance. It is intense, it is scary, it is upsetting, and you will not believe the finale. And also, Coleman Domingo shows up. Philly represent. He's having quite a year between Candyman and Zola. Um, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But I gotta say, Coleman Domingo, he's up there with Ray Fisher as someone who, if I had fuck you money, I would pay to read me bedtime stories because their voices are so soothing. Coleman Domingo, if you for some reason ever hear this podcast and would like to read a bedtime story to me at any point, I would love to do it, and I can't even promise I'd stay awake for more than two lines of it because your voice is so soothing. But, uh, yeah, this uh, Candyman is just... There's not much else to say except that it just completely fucking rocks. I absolutely loved it. Um, Shout out to Manual Cinema. You've heard me speak about them on the podcast before. Manual Cinema is a performance group that I saw do a rendition of Frankenstein at the Edinburgh Fringe, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Edinburgh 
the Edinburgh fringe a couple years ago. Uh, what manual cinema does is they create a movie in real time. Uh, what that means is that there's a screen above the stage where they perform, and if you watch the screen, what you will see is what appears to be a fully cut and edited film that is has gone through post-production. What we're actually watching is a projection of what is being created on stage. So a combination of... Clever camera work, uh, puppetry, live music, and human performances are all shot and mixed and performed together to create a singular performance. Uh, the puppets ha are, that Manual Cinema works with are used pretty predominantly in Candyman. Uh, anytime that they flash to the legend of Daniel Robitel or just Candyman, the notion of him in general, uh, is told in shadow puppets that were done by the Chicago troupe Manual Cinema. If you get a chance to see one of their shows, I would not miss it. It's one of my favorite things I've ever seen, but it's really cool to see their work done in a uh, mainstream big movie that kicks serious ass. Uh, they also do a sort of history lesson through Shadow Puppets over the closing credits of Candyman, so you should stick around to the end because it is uh, really well done, it's thoughtful, and super stylish, and it's, it's manual cinema. We love them. And uh, I also need to shout out the composer who did the music for this, Robert Aiki Aubrey Lowe. Completely new score. Um, the original Candyman has an iconic, legendary, very, very highly respected score by Philip Glass, and, uh, it, I mean, it's just exceptional, like really an exceptional score. So these are big shoes to fill. And so Robert Aiki Aubrey Lowe has done a completely new score for this movie. And it's, it, it, it does not use the original melody until the very end, at least as far as my dumb ears could tell, but it's an absolutely striking and compelling score that integrates with the film quite well. Uh, it's unsettling. It's. But it's like hip. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to put it, but it's unlike anything I've ever heard. And it's exactly the audio uh, atmosphere that this movie needed. And when the original score's melody is invoked, you know, it's it's not we, we don't relent to the original uh, to the original score. We just borrow the melody in this new style. Oh, fuck, man. It's. Can you tell? I just loved it. I, th I think Candyman was just fantastic. You should see it. I would suggest that you watch the original Candyman before seeing it. It's not required. Someone who's completely blind to the Candyman myth can... But, but I mean, who is? Even if you've never seen the movies, we all know the myth of Candyman. Um, he's almost like tulpa'd into real life now. Um... But yeah, I, I would say that you don't need to watch the original, but if you watch the original before you watch the new Candyman, it is an enhancement. It's definitely an enhancement. So, uh, oh man, yeah, there's there's a couple like pretty cool surprises if you're if you're a fan of the series. I wouldn't say that you need to watch the second and third, but I would say that if you're curious about those movies you're probably the type who will enjoy them. So I would 
definitely recommend checking. I know that I I had a good time with them, and I'm pretty sure that they're on. I think the third one is on Hulu. I think the second one's on Prime. They're probably both on Tubi. Shout out to Tubi. We love Tubi on I Like to Movie Movie. Um, let's see. Is there anything else that I would like to talk about before this all wraps up? Uh, depending on when this goes up, I do, is there? I, I'm gonna check to see. We're gonna do this in reaction. This is the life of a film critic. I am going to check and see what the embargo is for Shang Chi and the Ten Rings. So the review embargo is. Oh, I want to post this on Sunday, so I can't talk about it yet because it, the review embargo is Monday. But I do. I'll put it this way: I would like to talk about Shang Chi. Um. Oh, you know what I watched that like kind of fucked. Um, and I say fucked with an F as in fuck, not S as in suck. Fucked. Um, don't breathe too. I, uh, I liked the first one. I know that that movie, uh, does not sit well with people because for some reason, if things get, uh, uh, rapey, it's suddenly the horror is too much. Now, granted, I don't see anybody saying that the movie shouldn't exist. That's where I draw the line. I do get if people say, yeah, it's not to my taste, but I always find it funny that everyone watches this movie in which, like, people get fucking gnarly gnarl killed, but the second there's something, and, and this is not to, you know, minimize any of that, but it's like, this is a movie that is about fucking horrifying trauma, and they really crank it up, and so, uh, but hey, if it's not to your taste, it's not to your taste, I can respect that, um, so Don't Breathe 2 is not to a lot of people's tastes because, according to the trailers, it looks like the blind man is going to be the hero in this, and in a lot of ways he is. And it's tough to rehabilitate the image because if you've seen Don't Breathe, he is a fucking monster. Like, irredeemable, absolutely terrible monster. So I gotta say credit to Don't Breathe 2 because Don't Breathe 2 doesn't try to rehabilitate him. It just owns that he's a monster, and he's a monster that happens to be trying to do a good thing this time around. But the thing is, like, the good thing this time around still involves him just, like, murdering the fuck out of a whole bunch of people. And so it is just a, you know, it, it's it's absolutely insane. It's one of the more hardcore movies I've seen recently. I will advise that you stay after the credits if you're into I mean, It's a small tag, but you should check it out. But I was most impressed, uh, not with any of the character shit. I mean, it was fine. I, I I did appreciate that they didn't try to completely rehabilitate this guy. They just said he's a nightmare person, watch him kill more, but he's killing to save an actual good person. Um, but the way that these, uh, like a lot of stuff is blocked really well. Uh, a lot of stuff is, it's like, there's like Rube Goldbergian setups of, of, literal traps as well as just events falling into place like dominoes that are really max they're used to maximize tension and it's very cleverly done like there's one part where you know the this girl hides in like a storage locker but it has an open top and so the bad guy runs a hose into the open top to like drown her out um but then the water gets shut off. So Ernest said the water doesn't get shut off. Yeah, he's he's got that. But then a uh, uh, you know blind man shows up to free her. So the bad guy then dangles an electrical wire into the hole, saying, "Hey, once this fills up to a certain point, boom, she's gonna get shocked." So we've got 
you know, this, this, this stacked tension of blind man trying to find her, her being in a ticking time bomb situation where she might get electrocuted or drowned. Um, but her also hiding from a guy who's, who's trying to break into this thing and kill her and blind man trying to find it's, it's a lot of stuff like that. And a lot of it's pretty contrived, but I think it's all very cleverly done and well suited to the tone of the movie. And if you're the type of person who doesn't, uh, want to see a movie like reconcile with this guy doing something heroic despite being a monster if you try to view it in a vacuum and just ignore the first movie it actually still works pretty well it's a pretty complete story by itself so you can actually choose to ignore that i know that's probably tough to do because it's (laughs) i'm with you i mean don't breathe one is fucking horrifying that turkey baster shit is dark but I am who I am, and I like my horror dark. I like it fucked up. I like it uncompromising, and I like to feel uncomfortable about it. Um, you know, in, in that type of way. Um, one other thing, I didn't actually watch this on vacation, but since I can give a couple more minutes here before I got to bounce, I watched Pumpkinhead for the first time. Dude. Bro. Pumpkinhead is the best movie I have ever seen in my whole life. And I don't mean that literally, but figuratively, I mean the shit out of it. Because that is why movies. That's it. That's why movies. The end. uh, Stan Winston doing his directorial debut and already has an Oscar at this point, I believe. And he gets a chance to do his directorial debut. And so it's just a giant fable about grief Oh, I just, I googled Predator instead of Pumpkinhead. Oh, it's a morning. Uh, It's a fable about grief with a giant monster puppet that fucking kills people in horrifying ways. And, uh, yeah, Lance Henriksen is in it, and a bunch of other people, and it's so simple. Uh, I mean, what's weird is it's actually not simple. It's actually one of the most ridiculous setups, but in the tone of the movie, it works. Lance Henriksen is a dude with a kid. He lives alone. We don't need to know much about his history. Uh, we do see him as a little boy at the beginning, and he witnesses something he can't understand. It's a pretty horrifying opening, too, of like his dad leaving a guy outside to get killed by Pumpkinhead. And it's just like, boy, this is bigger than us. Don't open the door for him. And he's got to listen to him fucking die. Um, but uh, it's just a mythology to baby Lance Henriksen. Lance Pants. And... Uh, Oh, man, God, I love this movie. So Lance has his son, who is everything in this world, and a bunch of kids come to make, like, a dirt bike video or some shit, or to ride the hills around the the area of uh, Lance Hendrickson's uh, uh, rest stop that he operates and lives in. And one of the dudes drunkenly runs over his boy. And now that he's dead, he, uh, he decides to he get revenge on these guys by summoning Pumpkinhead through a, like a woodsy witch who's terrifying uh, to do his bidding. But what he doesn't, what he doesn't reckon is that Pumpkinhead's, uh, Pumpkinhead's uh, violent tastes come at violent costs. And soon Lance Henriksen has to fight this giant fucking puppet monster. Oh, oh my God. Pumpkinhead is incredible. Of all the movies that I talked about today, if there's one that is like, quit your job, fuck your life, Pumpkinhead now, it's Pumpkinhead. 
It's Pumpkinhead. Holy shit. It, there, there's a part where Pumpkinhead brings a woman up in a tree by her head and then drops her from a height to kill her. Unfucking believable. And it, it's just, it's it's so well done and ah, it's horrifying. Uh, huge pet cemetery vibes because it's hitting the same thematic structure of just like, don't, don't, you know, like we all grieve differently, but if you lash out, you know, what, what's the, uh, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna get revenge, dig two graves. I don't know why I did it in that voice, but that just seems like the voice to do it in. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to talk about. Man, man, I watch too many goddamn movies. Seance is pretty good. I watched that. I blind bought that on the strength of uh, Simon Barrett, because he's one of my favorite writers. His directorial debut, we talked about it on the show in the past, because Garrett had seen it. Um, I recommend. I liked it a lot. Pretty good. Nighthouse. Also liked Nighthouse a lot. Pretty fucking good. Um, I'm going to wrap this up, because I uh, I have a movie to watch before I go visit my parents, and uh, it's a movie that I'm like real fucking excited about. But I am under embargo, so I cannot tell you how it is. But I can tell you what it is. I'm about to watch Karen. <laughs> All right. So thank you for putting up with my abridged vacation edition of I Like to Movie Movie. Um, you can find the show everywhere at Movie Movie Cast. Uh, we are available on Anchor FM, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review. Uh, give us uh, five stars. Uh, honestly, I would love if on any of these platforms, it's really helpful if you give me five stars. If you don't like the podcast, you can say whatever you want in the comments. Go And I'll, I'll read them. I, I'm a glutton for punishment like that. I'll say whatever you want. But if you could have put the five stars even with your shitty negative this guy sucks review um that would help me a lot and hopefully someone else likes it better than you and hopefully you can find a podcast that you like better than this but if you do like it hit me with that five stars and if you're feeling uh sassy you should do that with all of the podcasts on the movie john podcast network so check out the movie john podcast network that's where you can find my show that's where you can find all the other shows on the network uh Depp impact killer bees f yeah f1 best friends forever fun fun stuff uh hate watch great watch which i've been listening to a lot lately you should check that out they, they have they have a lot of fun um yes you should uh do that you should check out my comedy podcast hot property uh we took a week off of that for my vacation but you will see a new episode this week there is a new pocky one chip challenge and we are going to do it um you can check out moviejohn.com you can check out findy.com and of course if you are a lazy idiot like myself just go to scullyvision.com and that will point you to everything um I think that's it. I'll probably have some Patreon stuff. I'm still in recovery from the changeover. Got to figure out what to do with all the things and how to do it. Um, I am going to have that movie happy hour on Instagram Live at some point. Um, I don't know when. Stay tuned to the social meds for that. I have had a lot of coffee. I almost don't want to stop talking, but I am out of things to talk about, and I would like to go watch Karen. Karen! No one can say Karen without doing the Karen from Goodfellas. It is a law 
and we abide by the law. Oh, yo, I want to share this. So it was my, my birthday a couple weeks back, and Jenna got me a framed screenshot from Pulp Fiction involving Jimmy talking to the wolf, and it is signed by Harvey Keitel and Quentin Tarantino. So there's a framed photo in my room that has been touched by gods who walk amongst us, and it gives positive energy into my world. Um, Positive energy to offset all of the energy that's sucked out by the Joker hologram poster that I was gifted, and uh, that I can see looks like edgelord bullshit, but I really do fucking love that movie. I think it's kind of incredible. So I'm proud to have it in my room, but it will always be in a vibe battle with the Tarantino because that scowling, scowling Joker is is quite the scowler. He's quite the scowler. Yeah, that's it. I love you guys. This is Dan. I like to movie movie. Something to love about every movie. Yes, even that one. Is that the new slogan? I don't know. Ugh.